Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Broadcast it live. There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland. You talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone, live. It's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. All right, we are back at it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show and the uh, 27th episode of the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast all rolled into one. I am your host, Dan Scott. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for continuing to support what we do here on a weekly basis. Uh, good to be with you on WZLA in Abbeville, covering Abbeville and Greenwood and all of those areas. The Godfather continues to be gracious enough to give us the uh, 5 to 6 p.m. hour on Monday afternoons. And, of course, everywhere on the World Wide Web and the podcast, wherever podcasts are found, Grumpy Old Broadcasters is who we are. Tom Van Hoy will be here, Dave Glenn in the second half of our get-together, as always. And I don't know uh, what the weather is like where you are. If, if the forecast is true, by the time this airs on uh, WZLA uh, in Abbeville and the podcast drops on uh, this Monday afternoon, the weather is supposed to actually start to be pretty nice in some places maybe sunny in the 60s. As I'm recording it, though, it is a gray, wet, cold day here uh, in the upstate. I was just out in it for an extended period of time uh, getting some uh, home repairs looked at this morning. And um, I, I got to tell you, though, remarkably, with all the bad weather we've had over the last two weeks, when it came time to open the spring 2021 FCS football season at Paladin Stadium in Greenville, uh, Fermi University's opener against Western Carolina. It was sunshine. It was mid-50s. It, it was like a crisp October football afternoon. It was that It was that great. It really was. And, of course, Furman with a 35-7 win to open the season. First game in 448 days for Furman football. First time in the 115-year history of the football program that Furman has played a game in the month of February after not playing a game in the entire calendar year of 2021. And, man, did they look like they were excited and ready to play. Going to talk about that a little bit. Going to talk some college basketball as well. And we have an official start date now for minor league baseball. The Greenville Drive will be back in 2021. And uh, Tom and I will be playing a minor role, get it, minor, in that uh, minor league baseball season. A uh, quick word about Todaro Pizza. They bring you the podcast version of what we do here, uh, located on Markley Street, just down from Floorfield, where the Greenville Drive plays, as a matter of fact. I keep telling you, folks, it's bucket list pizza. If you have never had it, if you're not from the area and you're coming into the upstate of South Carolina, you need to put that on your food to-do list. 
It is fantastic. Indoor seating is available at the Markley Street location over in Clemson on Sloan Street. They're still doing just takeout and delivery right now, but uh, I can tell you that it's worth it. The, the pizza's fantastic. The people, the Todaro family, is even better. Todaropizza.com is the website. T-O-D-A-R-O pizza.com. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Twitter. And uh, you need to find them. You need to check them out. Todaro Pizza brings you our podcast on a weekly basis. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. And Tom Van Hoy joins us, and we'll get into what was a busy weekend and an even busier week lying straight ahead in just a moment. Don't go away. All right, we are back and uh, just getting things cranked up on this edition of the uh, Dan Scott Show in episode 27, as it were, on uh, the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. Tom Van Hoy is here with us, as uh, he normally is. And, uh, well, as always, good to see you, my friend. How, yep. how are things always in Van Hoy land? Good to be here. Good. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, we're uh, stroking it downfield, so to speak. Yeah, we're doing fine. Well, that's good. Uh, Tom and I had to uh, split our talents, which I don't know if that's the right phrase to use in the uh, (laughs) (laughs) when you're starting to evaluate things. But uh, because of spring football, um, I I did the uh, football broadcast with David Cobb and Marcus McMorris on Saturday, Furman's opener with Western Carolina. Tom went to beautiful. Beautiful, he said. Macon, Georgia, yeah. for Furman basketball at Mercer, and and we both came away happy, which was always a good thing. That's the key. We got all the commercials played, and the games got on the air, and both teams won. So that's a win-win for everybody, I think. Yep. Uh, just to kind of catch folks up, uh, the uh, the basketball team now has won three in a row, and continues to be one game behind UNCG in the loss column. And we'll have a chance to make up some ground, Tom, because uh, they, uh, Bob Ritchie's team plays tonight uh, against VMI, mm-hmm. a makeup game, Wednesday, and then again on Saturday. So you, you've got uh, three games scheduled here in, in, the, uh, in, in the next, what, six days. Uh, five in eight days, I guess, going back to, to this past Saturday. And um, uh, the, the college basketball season coming down the stretch here, a lot of people thought, you know, whether it was big conferences, mid-majors, whatever, that we weren't going to get this season in, just like a lot of people said we wouldn't get the Power Five or the uh, FBS college football season in uh, back in the fall. But it looks like it's going to happen. Yeah, there have been some postponements, as you uh, would expect, uh, uh, throughout the course of the season. I mean, you can look at the number of uh, situations that Sanford's had. They've only played 11 games and, and trying to get in as many games as they can. You look at uh, at the Big 12 and, and Baylor's only played nine games. But for the most part, yeah, I think you've gotten in uh, as many games as, you know, we thought we might get in to a certain extent. You just didn't know. So, and in the, in the Southern Conference, you're going to have anywhere from, I think there's still an, a team or two that can get all 18 in, but 
There are some that um, aren't going to be able to get that many in, and then you go to percentages and some other things like that. So they've had to adjust not only the Southern Conference, but everybody across the country. And the, a lot of conversation about uh, will there be some conference tournaments, will some teams opt out, things like that. And as far as the Southern Conference is concerned, you need to play that uh, if, if you can, just from the standpoint that you, it's kind of a one-bid league almost every year. So that, that becomes a, a factor, too, I think. And, you know, it, it, a lot of postponements, but also a, able to get the majority of the games in. As you and I have, have traveled the college basketball circuit this year, and that has taken us uh, everywhere from you know the usual Southern Conference spots to the University of Cincinnati to, to Winthrop and, and, and some other places down to Charleston, uh, we, we see varying um, degrees of, of uh, fans being allowed in games, varying numbers, and sometimes even in the same state, sometimes even in the same county, sometimes even within the same school, as we saw at Chattanooga, there are some differences. Yeah, what, what, right. what was the atmosphere like at Mercer? It was pretty good. We were talking about it uh, with Coach Ritchie on postgame. They, uh, you know, minimal number of people, a couple of hundred probably in there, but they had the band, the cheerleaders. They had uh, the the big inflatable, you know, looked like a used car event, you know, on a weekend or something with spotlights and all that kind of stuff. Had the big, big inflatables and all. So it, it was uh, uh, not bad compared to some of the places that we've been. And you know, we we knew, and and uh, I hope the folks can tell as well that. The last uh, what, two out of the last three, I think, Furman games, the, the band and the cheerleader have been there, and what a big difference it does make. You don't have thousands of people, but you have uh, more of a basketball atmosphere. As the season's gone on, they had to start, of course, uh, in, in many cases with nobody there. I think there were three, was it three, Wofford, Western Carolina, maybe Chattanooga, and the Southern Conference didn't allow, allow anybody in. Some allowed a percentage on a percentage basis. And as the season's gone on, we've seen an increase uh, somewhat, and uh, it provides more of a basketball uh, atmosphere than we saw earlier in the year when essentially teams are still doing it and still have that mindset trying to create uh, some of the uh, emotion themselves, which is a rarity and something that's new. And you've played basketball all your life, and usually there's a pretty big crowd. We've seen teams do a great job of of creating their own uh, their own uh, emotion and environment, but it was pretty good. I thought uh, good ball game, uh, 27-26 at half. Became down by one of the second half, and and Furman had a 13-0 run, and uh, Noah Gurley uh, had a had a really big game again. He had 24 points, and uh, Mike Bothwell with the 17, and Jameis Lawson came off the bench in double figures. Got to be a four-point game, kind of late in the ball game, but Furman was able to make the plays when they needed to play. I mean, to make them from a veteran group. And then, I mean, you and I have seen it all year long. It's, it's, there were no, there were five total fouls called in the first half and uh, just two free throws, none by Furman. And then in the second half, and a lot of it had to do with the fouling late in the game by Mercer, but Furman hit 17 of 19 free throws in the second half. Got out of there with a solid, solid win because it was a Mercer team that's coming off a win over East Tennessee in Johnson City. And Furman and Furman fans know how tough it is to play there. And they had a lot to play for in terms of trying to be in the top six to get that first round by. So, uh, overall, I thought it was a, a solid and very good effort uh, for the Furman Paladins. We get VMI tonight, Citadel on Wednesday, and then a, a huge game, which may have ramifications at the top of the, the SoCon with uh, Wofford in Spartanburg on, 
on Saturday, and uh, Wofford will uh, not play until next Saturday because of some extenuating circumstances throughout the uh, the league with some COVID issues as well with other teams. Yeah, Sanford had had five games uh, postponed because of COVID, came back, played a couple, one of which was the Furman game this past Saturday. Uh, and as soon as that game was over, apparently they had another positive test, so they have gone back on uh, uh, hiatus again, and uh, that has caused some further havoc within the schedule. Um, it, it was just interesting to me to, to watch how this is playing out all across the country and and what, what teams and conferences are doing and how mm-hmm. it's affecting everything from, from rankings to potential tournament seating. Uh, I saw... Uh, Tim Beret from Clemson uh, tweet yesterday, I believe it was. You know, Clemson has been on its second pause uh, mm-hmm. for uh, COVID-related issues and has missed its last couple of games. In the first time they went on, they were playing so well, came back and, and were, were just really struggling uh, for the first two or three games after that, then got their sea legs back and were playing really well again. Now they've gone back on pause. But this season has been so crazy because of all of this stuff, Tom, that the the net rankings the NCAA puts out that is now used uh, in, in uh, helping determine seeding and qualifying for at-large teams and everything else in the uh, NCAA tournament, more so than the RPI, uh, Clemson did not play all last week, missed two games, and improved double-digit spots in the net rankings. That, that, that's how That's how – crazy this season has been yeah it's uh one of those things you just get as many games in uh, as you can and then you, you just hope for the best and, and get into the tournament highest seed you can get and and uh, hopefully uh, in the bubble-like situation that they're going to have with the ncaa tournament that uh, you can uh, maintain that status in indianapolis and have a chance to play it all out but yeah you're right maybe in some cases, you're you're better off not playing, if if that's the case in, in that particular instance. Anyway, for for Clemson, we saw you know Louisville was off for so long, and then they came back and and didn't play very well. And uh, Michigan was off for a long time. They've come back and Max have played pr- pretty well, real well since they've come back. So uh, it's there's no manual for it, that's for sure. And in, in terms of uh, so you want to be a coach, so you want to be a broadcaster, those type of books, mm. what uh, what you have to, you know, you face, and, and that's kind of life in general, and you have to adjust and, and adapt to that. Meanwhile, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, the spring football season opened up uh, at the FCS level, and, and the Furman Paladins played uh, their first game in 448 days uh, on Saturday against Western Carolina at Paladin Stadium. 115 years of football, Tom. It's the first game that has ever been played in the month of February, although uh, our our uh, mutual uh, friend and broadcast partner on the football broadcast, David Cobb, was a little taken aback by that statement because he said that he played in some spring games, and that's when he got his most playing time. He was a, he was a spring letterman during his Furman career. Uh, David was an offensive lineman on the 88 National Championship team, for those of you who don't know. But... Um, you know, we talked all week long last week in Furman circles and some of the things that, that we do broadcast-wise uh, specifically for Furman about how Clay Hendricks and his staff approached this fall season as if 
well, it, it's important. They were going to be excited about playing. They they were not really interested in playing any quote unquote money games uh, for show, so to speak, in the fall. There was some conversation about that. Ultimately, decided not to. They wanted to play for a conference championship and have a chance to play for a national championship, and that's where they put all of their focus. And unlike some teams and unlike some programs, which we have heard about and, and talked a little bit about, who have varying levels of of interest in actually playing in the spring, the Paladins, to a man, had said, hey, we are looking forward to it. We're excited. We want to play. And, man, it showed on Saturday as they came out and rolled up 533 yards of total offense in basically three quarters. They called off the dogs in the fourth quarter. 35-7 to win held Western Carolina to just 109 yards of total offense, and they didn't cross the 100-yard threshold until their final possession of the game when it was well uh, out of reach. But it, it was a, a good day. Had uh, upwards of about 2,000 people. I think they max could have had about 2,300 in Paladin Stadium, you know, socially distant, spread out on both sides. Band was there. Cheerleaders were there. So it, it was a pretty good atmosphere, all things considered, and, man, the team just looked outstanding. Overcame a couple of early turnovers, and and after that, just steamrolled Western Carolina. Yeah, can you imagine, what you say, after 448 days, you want to be on that kickoff team with, with the with emotions that are and the adrenaline that's that's pumping through all, all those players? You better keep your head on a swivel uh, on the opening kickoff there. But, yeah, bottom line, when you look at it, Dan, I mean, sometimes stats don't tell the story. 91 plays at 35 and 41 minutes of um, time of possession. You had five drives, touchdown drives of 9, 9, 10, 12, and 17 play. That's impressive performance because you want to talk about being rusty and 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 having not played for a while. And as you said early, made some mistakes. But, man, both sides of the football uh, played well and, and uh, you know, pretty good indication, hopefully, of things to come the rest of the year for Furman. Yeah, Devin Wynn becomes the 13th player in, in Furman history to rush for over 2,000 yards in his career. And good news for the rest of the Southern Conference, uh, all uh, appearances, he's coming back in the fall to take advantage mm-hmm. of that extra COVID year. So uh, the, the running back stable is going to stay very, very talented and very deep. But, they, you know, they're, they are focused on this spring season on the road to VMI this uh, this next Saturday coming up and and um, well we were just it was good to be back in in that booth it was strange to be doing football during baseball season mm-hmm. but but it was good it was good to be back in the booth good to see the uh, the sacrifice of the the players and the staff paying off like that you know uh, clay pointed out to me uh, last week as we were leading up to kickoff of the opener that since they came back from Christmas break, six weeks plus, and not a single positive test yeah. uh, among the football program. And they get tested three times a week. All the athletes on campus get tested three times a week. Uh, that That's a, a, a dedication to a cause. It, it, well, it, it, is, it really is. Know, and you look at not only the football program, but, but overall – uh, what they've been able to accomplish in the in the athletic uh, department with the, the number of different different people and, and the contacts they have and it's got to be tough uh, you know having gone through the the collegiate uh, experience as well that there's a lot of things that you can't do that you normally would do in those type of environments and at, at that age particularly you have to you know you have to be uh, 
cognizant of what's going on. And uh, it's it's been very positive situation in a good way at uh, at Furman. So now all we have to do is tee it up and do it all over again. It's, it's yes. going it's to be another <laughs> uh, another busy week. I, you know, from the uh, grumpy old broadcasters side of, of things in in the podcast, I, one of the things we like to do is kind of talk about the broadcasting industry a little bit, and we may have referenced it during uh, last week's show slash episode, but um, last week was the first time in in my career that I broadcast three different sports in the same week How about that? And, and and that and that is you know obviously another fallout of of the covid pandemic football for our level getting moved but i did a baseball doubleheader north greenville and newberry on tuesday of last week i did basketball on wednesday and saturday no basketball on wednesday and then uh, football on saturday now for you I know that's that's old hat. You you've probably done more sports than that in the same week. Going back to your time uh, at at uh, your job in, in Pittsburgh, Kansas, low those many years ago, but that was a first for me doing three different. So I don't know that I did any of them well, but I got them accomplished, which was the most. And like you said, all the commercials got played. That's that's the key. But yeah, I was you know Dan, we we're all uh, the the best thing for me, and I think for you as well, is I love going to the games. I love right. broadcasting the games do it every day it's uh it's unscripted you never know what's going to happen now you know occasionally those baseball games will go <laughs> four hours and three minutes or something like that there have been a few times we've three, been out three, it, three, uh, three hours and 38 minutes for game one and three hours and 25 minutes for game there two. you go but not, not that i'm counting not that i'm counting no no and you know the thing about it is given the circumstances of what we saw last week the way, it wasn't bad for you because there were a couple of days that uh, you know a little bit iffy in terms of trying to trying to get anything in. So uh, yeah, I mean the more games, the merrier. And as I said, the one the great thing that that I like about broadcasting games is you never know what's going to happen. I mean sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And we interview all the coaches and they put their you know this their livelihood and they work hard and assistant coaches and everybody else and. Um, you and I are on to the next game, <laughs> you know, whereas that might be a long bus ride home sometimes when uh, we've done some games. And um, so it, uh, it, I did a high school football game in, in uh, Kansas City one night, and it was a playoff game, semifinal game, big game, huge uh, ramifications, and the team I was broadcasting for got beat in four overtimes. And devastating. You're going to think about that the, the rest of the offseason and so forth. And I looked at over at my partner, who was a former college defensive coordinator and incredibly downcast. And you know how that goes. And I said, we're on to the next game. We had a college game the next day, 60 miles down the road. So in, in that regard, we're able to separate a lot, lot more than uh, some of the coaches that, that pour everything into to uh, trying to find the success. Yeah, and, and before we go to break, it, it just uh, leads me to uh, a thought that you and I talked about from, um, uh, from uh, I think it was Wednesday night. Uh, Terrence Oglesby what was in mm -hmm. town to do the TV broadcast, and for those of you who may not know, I think most people in the upstate are familiar with that name. He played for Oliver Purnell at Clemson. 
He went on to play professionally in Europe and, and was uh, after his professional career was in coaching for a while. He has decided that he wants to to get into the broadcasting end of things, and it is a very very incredibly sharp, well spoken young man. And at, at the early stage of his broadcasting career, is doing a really nice job. The thing that I like about Terrence and, and and Tom, you and I have seen both ends of the spectrum on this. He's not a guy who walks in and says, this is my resume. I need to be doing the biggest games that I can get. I, you know, there's th- These games at this level are beneath me. That's not the attitude he's taken. He has taken the attitude of, I'm going to broadcast anything I can. He's doing Division II games. He is doing mostly women's games. He is doing, and I, somebody's going to say, hey, wait a minute, you're saying women's games? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. The point is, that he is doing everything that he can do, regardless of the level, Division One, Division Two, it doesn't matter, and and just trying to get better, just trying to get better, and I love that about a guy like that, Tom, who's got the acumen, who's got the knowledge, and now he's trying to learn how to present that in a a, a television setting, broadcast wise, some radio, but mostly TV. And he's not afraid to get in the trenches and get his hands dirty, and, and there's nothing beneath him. He doesn't care if it's Division Two or what. He just wants to do games right now. Yeah, that's great. I mean, in, uh, when you were starting, and same thing here is, you know what, if they call, you go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you learn by uh, by doing. You, uh, you learn. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if anybody, people, this is a business where they can judge you uh, based on, However, you do the ball game. They may not like it, but um, I, I I've always said that uh, I don't know if I'm any good or not. But I made every mistake in the history of sports broadcasting mm-hmm. <laughs> because I've I've done uh, so many games that uh, you know, you hopefully learn from those, and and then hopefully you get you get feedback uh, from uh, people you trust and not necessarily your relatives because <laughs> if you get on the air, you're pretty good, right, Dan? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that's another story for another time. Uh, one more thing, just uh, about 60 seconds before we need to take a break. Minor League Baseball finally has an official start date. Uh, they announced last week the the new uh, leagues, the, the breakdown for the 120 teams that are making up the new face of Minor League Baseball. The um, uh, Greenville Drive is in the Southern Division of the new East League at the high Class A level and will begin play on uh, May the 4th at Floor Field. And and the series this year are going to be six-game series. Yep, They'll play Tuesday through Sunday and have Monday off, and, and that's going to cut down on travel and cut down on some other things, which is one of the things they were trying to accomplish. But the bottom line, Tom, we got a 120-game season, 60 games. You and I are going to be able to broadcast uh, this summer, starting on May the 4th, and uh, it, it's good to finally have that settled. Yeah, it makes you appreciate. We've always talked about uh, having lost the games, uh, whatever sport it is. That uh, not that uh, those that play and those that are involved with it don't appreciate it, but I think you have more so. And, and you're right. You're going to have uh, six six game home stand or six games with the same team, which will be really very interesting as well. So the driver got to begin with uh, twelve games at home to begin things, and then when you get to September, they're going to end up with the final twelve games on the road. There'll be some familiar faces, but there'll also be some some new teams, and we'll get into all of that as uh, we get closer to the season. When the season begins, about 
who is in these specific uh, divisions and where they are. So there's been some movement from the South Atlantically, but bottom line is Eric Jarinko and and uh, Mr. Brown Brown have done a, a heck of a job over with the Greenville Drive to kind of get through this whole situation because it's been difficult, particularly for the minor leaguers. And a lot of minor league franchises didn't get invited or didn't make it back and economically and so forth. So kudos to the Greenville Drive. I look forward to doing the games and having folks come out to Fleur Field again. Yep, yep. And it all starts on May the 4th. And like Tom said, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. All right, we will step out for the break. Dave Glenn will join us on the other side. Dan Scott Show and Grumpy Old Broadcasters Podcast Episode 27 will continue in just a moment. We continue on this latest edition of the Dan Scott Show, WZLA in Abbeville, and episode 27 of the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. Uh, we are uh, happy to have you with us here. And uh, normally, and, and I even mentioned at the top of uh, what we're doing here, that uh, Dave Glenn would be with us here in the second half of the show because he normally is. And, and um, even though he's not here, I'm still going to play his theme music. He had something pop up that was uh, unavoidably detaining him, so Tom and I are just going to do our best to uh, try and, and fill the void, although I'm not sure that that's possible. But at least in spirit, Dave is here. And Tom will be kind of playing the role of Dave Glenn, at least here at the beginning of things. No pressure there, buddy. I'm a poor man's Dave Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> No, I tell you what, uh, we're fortunate to be able to have conversations with uh, with Dave each week with his uh, extensive background as far as the ACC is concerned, and you know we're going down the stretch as far as his college basketball is concerned, and you know you look at it up top, Florida State at nine and two, and and just beat Pittsburgh, and they're a team that is so good at home. I think it's twenty three consecutive games they've won at 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 uh, the Tucker Center there, Virginia. At eleven and three, Dan, and they they got beat eighty one to sixty by Florida State, and then had that tough sixty six sixty five loss uh, uh, at Duke last time out. So Virginia's lost uh, a couple of games back to back, and you know Mike Young's done a great job there. Virginia Tech, they're eight and three. North Carolina, who really struggled to score against Virginia, uh, I think they had like seven points in the first twelve or thirteen minutes or so, because that'll happen against uh, Virginia, which is why it's so impressive with Florida State was able to do, but then they put 99 on the board against the Louisville team, which we talked a little bit about at the beginning uh, coming off uh, the COVID pause and did not play very well. And then Clemson sits in there at seven and five. Syracuse was down by 20 points in the second half and came back and beat Notre Dame in 75 to 67. So it's really interesting now with Duke sitting in there in the eighth spot at eight and six and they're 10 and, and eight overall. And obviously lost conversation nationally about, Will Duke get in? They've won a couple of games here back-to-back. Uh, -back. In fact, they won three in a row. And you can talk a little bit about how, and maybe you can reference in your West Virginia background, what's happened with Bob Huggins there when their big mm -hmm. five-star center, uh, Sheboy, decided to opt out. And Huggins, Coach Huggins at that time, and a lot of people kind of, well, not only they laugh, but, you know, really, man, uh, they, he thought they would be better. 
spread it out, Culver in the middle, do things like that. Well, uh, Duke had a situation where Jalen Johnson left and decided to opt out and go ahead and concentrate on his pro career. Since that, they've played pretty well. Yeah, they, they have been a better basketball team without Jalen Johnson. There was a lot written uh, about that decision when it came down, uh, what, week, week and a half ago, whenever it was, and he, he decided to opt out. It, it's not been the, the smooth um, transition into what was going to be a one-and-done year uh, in the college basketball world for him anyway. But now the questions that have arisen, well, you know, what, what will NBA executives take out of this? Because it, it's a guy who was going to have that one year of college basketball on his resume for NBA executives to to really critique. I mean, he's a super talented kid, so I, you know, I'm assuming he's still going to get drafted very high. But you bail on your team and that that is what your resume says right now. And and this is why I wouldn't be successful as a major sports executive. I see that move from that kid, and there's almost nothing anybody can tell me that's going to make me draft him. You know, you'd have to go a long way to change my mind before I would draft a kid after seeing that move and him walking away from his teammates. And they're and they're not being extenuating circumstances that kind of legitimize the move. From everything I've read, he just wasn't happy. It wasn't working. And I'm just, you know, basically, sayonara, see you later. Well, there are two things there, Dan. First of all, yeah, you would never be in that position. Right, 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 right. Because, and I'm not not just the NBA, but you look around professional baseball and and you look at the NFL, and if you can play, if you can play and you can help the team, and we'll work around all the other extenuating circumstances. Oh, yeah, he's on, he's gonna he's he's gonna get drafted. I'm just saying that there are some executives I think who will probably take a pass on him now, and I say good for them. Yeah, well, and the other thing too is, and you read, and those kids at that level, and they have people around them. I don't know their camp or whatever the term you want, entourage that are that are always talking to them about this and about that. And I think it would be you know, outside looking in, uh, you see at, at the major you know, college conferences with all these kids that have the ideas and, and the op- opportunity to, to go to the NBA. And are you going to do what your coach tells you? And we got somebody in your ear telling you, you know, you, you need to shoot more, you need to do that. I think that would be really a pretty difficult situation for, for a head coach to be able to handle uh, all of that, particularly if you uh, ha- have a lot of guys like Kentucky and sometimes Duke with, uh, you know, a lot of one and dones that think they're going to go on uh, to to the next level. And then you have some guys come in that are projected to be one and dones, and then all of a sudden they decide, well, maybe I need to stay a little bit. Uh, and, and so I think there, when you start talking about that and you're going to get the best players you can to your program to win as many games as you can and get the highest level, but well, that's that's got to be a major juggling act for a lot of these head coaches. Yeah. Meantime, we mentioned earlier that Clemson uh, has not played and, and yet moved up multiple spots in, in the net rankings. So uh, at at that level, um, the the um, most of the Power Five conferences have what two weeks of regular season play to go before the conference tournaments. The the uh, mid majors 
by and large, this is the final week uh, of the regular season, and then the conference tournaments will be the following week. And, and so we're going to start to get some some clarity uh, on on what a, a field of, I guess, 68 particularly is going to look like and, and played all within the confines of, of the greater Indianapolis area in the state of Indiana. It's going to be a much different tournament, but uh, as Dave has pointed out several times, over the last few weeks in our broadcasts, uh, our, our podcasts uh, and get-togethers, Tom, NCAA has to have a tournament. They, they can't go without a, a tournament. Again, there, there's just simply too much money at stake, and, and you know people will scoff and get on their high horse and, and talk about you know making decisions like this based on finances. Well, some decisions have to be based on finances, and, and this is one of them. Well, and you've seen around the country that uh, there are, uh, I don't know if a lot, but there at least have been some that have dropped sports basically because they don't have the revenue that uh, is coming in in that regard from the basketball tournament and how much money that provides uh, teams at, at the highest level and other aspects there in terms of uh, revenue with tickets and, and, and marketing and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think last year, Dan, when, you and I were doing a little firm in baseball, and and then it was you're getting ready for the the uh, the SoCon basketball tournament had already been played, and as you mentioned a moment ago, some of the, the, the lower level, certain to a certain extent, if you want to call it that, go ahead and get their tournaments uh, out of the way, and then uh, you'll have the the ACC or the SEC or the Big Twelve. They they'll play a week later. We saw, I think it was was Clemson was warming up. And at the ACC tournament, and and said, uh, you know, hey, it's over, guys. So, and and I think at that time, not we really didn't know a whole lot about what the situation was in terms of of the virus and and uh, the ramifications of that. But you know, being proactive in that regard, I don't think any of us, me anyway, thought we'd be sitting here today, about a year later, still talking about. Uh, the possibility uh, or at least having a bubble situation in terms of playing, mm. playing the tournament. So, uh, and then you get into the whole situation of uh, teams at, uh, at the, the ACC or the big 12 and that level, how many teams are going to get in. So do you, can you opt out? Do you want to opt out of your, can you from a decision-making standpoint, I guess the conferences need to make that, uh, kind of situation to let it be known. So I, I still think even though we've got a couple of weeks left that there are a lot of things that need to be determined in terms of the postseason conference tournaments across the country. Yeah, and I think you and I talked a couple of weeks back about the, the conversation that Jay Billis had, uh, the, the former Duke player and, and ESPN college mm-hmm. basketball analyst who's very highly respected and, and basically saying that from his standpoint that if a team doesn't if a team opts out of its conference tournament that should immediately make them ineligible for the NCAA tournament because you're talking about a, a competitive balance issue uh, you know a true competition a level of competition issue there and I would tend to agree with it and what I know on one hand that a, a conference commissioner a league as a whole, is trying to do everything that he can or it can as an entity to to work with the the individual teams uh, because of the just the the 
un, unknown nature of, of this virus and, and the, the fact that they've never come across anything like this before. It's uncharted territory for everybody. So I, I know they've tried to be as accommodating as possible, but there comes a point in time when, as a commissioner, you have to draw a line in the sand. And, and, and you and I have had some conversations about a particular league that, that we follow on a regular basis. And, and, and now it's going to be interesting to see what some of those upper-level commissioners do, what some of those leagues do, if teams say, hey, we're not going to play in the tournament because we think that we can get into the uh, – not going to play the conference tournament because we think we can get into the big tournament based on our – resume as it stands now and we don't want to you know go into a bubble and 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 bring all these di- and that and that's the excuse they're putting up you know we don't want to bring you know 10 teams 12 teams 15 teams into one location and all these other people coming in here and and, and putting you know our players at risk and our coaches and support staff and everybody at risk but if the the leagues have the same protocols you know everybody in the ACC has to follow the same protocol then what's the big idea? I mean, what's the big deal? You know, I, I agree with Jay Billis. You, you have some teams that would like to do this simply uh, from a competitive balance standpoint. And, and the, the, the point that, that he made, I believe it was he that made this point, that if, let's say Gonzaga, which is not a, a Power 5 school, but it is the number one team in the country or has been for a good part of the year, Gonzaga decides not to play in its conference tournament and somebody else wins and gets the, the automatic bid that is going to knock somebody else from another conference out of the tournament who would have gotten in had Gonzaga played its conference tournament won and gotten the automatic bid. And and that's the competition issue that Jay Billis is talking about. And I think it's a very good point. Yeah, I do too. And then let's, let's go back and examine scheduling down the stretch for these conferences around the country. Most teams are not going to get all of the regularly scheduled uh, conference games in. 18 games scheduled in the Southern Conference. I think maybe one may get that many in. But then the determination, not necessarily the Southern Conference, but just across the country, you've got to make decisions on trying, if you want to make those games up, how many of those games are you going to try to make up and if you do, where are you going? I mean, if you you might have, am I going to play two on the road if I can get those in? Do I get one at home, one away? I mean, there are all kinds of moving parts in terms of trying to make up some of those games, and you have to make that determination, and then you have to go to the matrix and try to figure out uh, from an equ- equitable standpoint. Uh, I'm not sure how that works, and I, and I, I do know that it would be really very difficult to do. But these are situations now where. Uh, if you're the leader of a con- of a conference and you got to make those kind of calls, and and there will be coaches that not, are not going to be happy about that at all. If if uh, they feel like, you know what, I got to play somebody at, at the there's two games that I could make up one against the guy that's in last place and one against the guy right. that's in first place. One's on the road, one's away. Okay, and if I do that, and then it affects B over here, so. You know that there—that's where you get into the algebra part of it, I guess. Damn well, and, and and we we have have uh, seen or or at least seen uh, reports and, and people we've talked to of, of coaches and schools who are who are quite honestly gaming the system and, and using COVID as an excuse 
not to do certain things or not to have to do certain things. Uh, and, and I just, I don't, you know, you can use the word fair and you can use, you know, whatever word you want. Uh, you know, the bottom line is, you know, you've got schools that are doing everything they can to try to reward their players who have sacrificed quite a bit in order to be able to play a season and you owe it to them under safe conditions and under the best yeah. circumstances possible to give them a chance to compete for that championship that they've worked so hard to have an opportunity to compete for. And then you start making decisions to try and game the system. As I say, I just don't like it. And I think the conferences have to step in and say, no, you're not going to do this. And if you do it, there are going to be significant penalties to pay. You, you want to scare somebody right now? Threaten to fine them. Because all, all of these schools are talking about how much money they don't have and how much money they've lost because of the pandemic, and, and many of them uh, are, are being you know 100% forthcoming on that. Threaten to fine somebody six figures and, and see how quickly they fall into line. Uh, but so far, yeah. so far, at least publicly, we haven't seen any commissioners and any conferences being willing to do that. I think next couple of weeks are going to be uh, pretty interesting uh, in that regard. We, we obviously cover uh, Furman and broadcast their games. You've got uh, games scheduled this week, and we'll see what transpires early next week if there are any makeup games. Um, and then you're going on to Asheville. Uh, at the end of the following week uh, as well. So um, it's, it's yeah, yeah, unprecedented times. And, uh, you know, if you want to be a commissioner, this probably isn't in the, uh, the handbook of, of how you do it, you know, but uh, that's why those that are in leadership roles uh, will have to make some pretty tough decisions. Mm-hmm. And it, it'll make a lot of people unhappy, I'm sure. They hopefully can have that opportunity to play uh, for the championship, and, and they've done everything that I think they can to try to make it as safe as it can be to bring. Just think about that. A couple of years ago, you said, hey, you know what? We're going to take going to one city, and we're going to do this. Every year, There's a, if I can, there's a bunch of, of uh, guys that I go to pick a, a site in the south, uh, and we meet, meet up there, and it turns out to be uh, 15, 20 guys from around the country that love basketball. And, and go watch an NCAA regional tournament game. Who would have thought that that would be uh, broken mm-hmm. up and it would come in, into the situation? So a, a lot of things uh, and a lot of decisions that uh, a lot of folks didn't think they were going to have to make have made those to see if there's an opportunity to even complete complete that. And then who knows when they get into Indianapolis if something goes on there, what might happen. And, yeah. and, and so a lot of moving parts. Look, I, I know it's easy for me to sit here and, and say what I just said. I, I understand that, uh, you know, you can call it armchair quarterback, you can call it whatever you want. But the fact remains that you know, guys who have been placed in positions of, of, of power or leadership would probably be a better word, not power, but in positions of leadership over conferences – uh, as as commissioners of these leagues, that you know there comes a point when you have to make tough decisions. And, and are they all going to be popular? No, they're not. Uh, but you, you have to do what's best for the for the greater good. And when you start when you start questioning the competitive nature of any sport and and the sanctity of that competitive nature, that's when you're starting to run 
into big time issues. And, and and if opting out by some of these bigger schools, if that's what happens, if that causes serious questions about the legitimacy uh, of competition, the competitive balance, and what it means for some schools versus other schools who may get in or may not get in because of the decision made by school A, then then I think you've got a serious issue. And that's something I think where the commissioners are going to have to draw a line in the sand. Or, more to the point, the NCAA, which hates doing stuff like that, is going to have to be the entity to draw the line in the sand. Well, however it plays out, it's got to be made pretty quickly, that's yeah. for sure. Right, let's Speaking of quickly, let, let's talk about one more thing before we wrap things up. Let's turn to the world of Major League Baseball and with all of the, the – um, uh, Financial issues that coming off of playing a 60-game season and no fans, no ticket sales a year ago, and the uncertainty of what baseball is going to look like beyond 2021 because a collective bargaining agreement has expired. The San Diego Padres continue to spend money like it's going out of style. I mean, they really, really reloaded their team in the offseason. And if you missed it, last week it was announced they had agreed to a 14-year $340 million contract with their young phenom, Fernando Tatis Jr., who basically is locking himself into San Diego for, if not his entire career, but for most of his career. Uh, Bob Nightingale, who covers Major League Baseball for USA Today and the MLB Network, tweeted out earlier this morning that that will be official today. 14 years, $340 million, $10 million signing bonus, a paltry $1 million in 2021, $5 million in 2022, $7 million in 2023, $11 million the following year. He'll average $22 million the next four years and earn $36 million a year in the final six years of the contract. And here's the big thing, Tom. Full no trade, full no opt-outs. And, and this will take him through age 35, well, good if you can get it, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, at, le- at least he plays every day and he doesn't pitch every fifth day, right? You know, uh, what is it? Tr- Mike Trout, is he the, the leader in the clubhouse at like $426 million? We, we, we've talked about this before, but, and I think we back in the day you had Brian Jordan on your show, and he played both football and, and uh, baseball, and, and, and I think he told us he liked football better, but baseball – uh, the money was guaranteed, and you know, but y- even though it's a tough, hard sport, you're not getting hit all the time like you are uh, in, in football. So, uh, in San Diego want to make a run for Los Angeles Dodgers, no, no question uh, about that. But you're seeing that end, and then you flip it to the other end, and you got to make up some parts of the team uh, from a monetary standpoint. In a lot of conversations. Uh, from a lot of the veteran players that many of these teams could have a veteran player, could have a guy that's really versatile, can do a lot of things, that has put in his time, been successful at different levels, and, and they'll opt to go a, a, a younger, cheaper way. And so I think there depends on what organization and, and the approach you want to take. And uh, a lot of that conversation will be about all the money that Major League Baseball says they lost last year. And uh, I think that uh, will be the reasoning that you'll see some of these teams not go for the veteran players and go for a, a, a younger and a, a cheaper situation. Yeah, well, 
bottom line is Fernando Tatis Jr. just got paid and uh, uh, yeah. got, got paid significantly. And, and, you know, he is is gambling his career on the San Diego Padres. I mean, you know, at 35, he will still be able to do more, you would think, when that contract is up. But still, you know, that's a pretty significant uh uh, with with what we've seen with other contracts, like Trevor Bauer just signs a contract mm-hmm. with the Dodgers, and, and he can opt out after the first year, can opt out after the second year. Fernando Tatis says no trades, no opt outs. We're just going to go ahead and 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 uh, cast our lot with the San Diego Padres and see what happens. Well, they show me the money, right? Yeah, and, and they <laughs> from, did from the movie, from the movie. Yeah, and they did, and they did. You know, uh, and San Diego probably not a bad place down there. You know. No. About $340 million. Dollars. Weather's good anyway. 72 degrees year-round, all that good stuff. All right, Thomas, I think we've done all the damage we can do. All right, well, he did the best job he could to fill in for Dave, and hopefully yes. he'll be with us next week. All right, sounds good. We'll be back to put a wrap on things in just a moment. Stay with us. Thank you for spending some time with us here on this uh, latest edition of the show and the podcast. We uh, really appreciate the uh, support we continue to get. And uh, next week, we'll be telling you about a couple of brand new sponsors we're adding to the podcast exclusive side of things. But I'll go ahead and tell you who they are now. I want to welcome the uh, Hall of Fame Sports Grill on Wade Hampton Boulevard in Greenville. And uh, my good friend, Dr. Brian Dooley, chiropractor extraordinaire, in the city of Pickens, South Carolina. Both of those uh, folks will be joining us next week on the podcast only, and uh, you'll be hearing uh, about them. Listen, we will be back with you uh, next time. Thank you for your attention. Again, I'll remind you that the podcast is brought to you by our friends at Tadaro Pizza uh, on uh, Markley Street in downtown Greenville, and you can find out more about them, tadaropizza.com, T O D A R. T-O-D-A-R-O pizza.com. That's their website. Thank John and his staff for supporting us. Thank you. Share the podcast. Continue to support the Godfather, Benji Greason at WZLA in Abbeville. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. Until then, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you and so long, everybody.